uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber Artificial Intelligence. Is there anything it can't do? Debt collectors want AI to push people into coughing up what's owed. An AI-created photo of an attack on the Pentagon generated a minor panic. There's an AI that could read your mind, and the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, just testified before Congress. It's a wealth of AI stories today on cyber, and here to walk us through it all is motherboard reporter Chloe Shong. Chloe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. We're doing this uh, for people that are listening at home. We are doing this live on a new Twitch channel for the first time, and we're working out the kinks. We're, we're happy with everyone uh, sticking with us. Uh, so I thought of you, Chloe, earlier this week when I reported on this Discord story. Uh, did you see this by chance? Yeah, I saw it. It was really interesting. Yeah, so the, the gist was that people trying to log into Discord and use some of its basic functions. Discord is a uh, chat app primarily used by gamers. Um, were met with a CAPTCHA that asked them to identify something called a Yoko, which appeared to be a colorful slug or a colorful snail or a yo-yo uh, and was an AI-generated image. Um, and people couldn't quite figure out what was going on, what a Yoko was. We're having trouble logging into Discord. So I looked into this a little bit, and it turns out that uh, the company HCAPTCHA um, has basically uses CAPTCHA as an opportunity for humans to train large language models. Um, the reason I thought of you is because I know that we've talked about on the show before that there is this idea that artificial intelligence and these large language models and these generative adversarial networks that kind of create a lot of the images that we that we love to share around and are responsible for some of the problems that we'll get into in the episode a little bit later. A lot of this stuff is all machine trained. and That's not true. There's like this whole army of people uh, that are helping this stuff along. Um, and so I just, uh, I, I thought of that conversation when I was reporting on this earlier. Yeah, definitely. I reported on this back in December, um, but uh, this definitely alludes to kind of the whole underlying way that AI is gener- is built and created, which is human uh, human labor and human training. So it's not just that people in foreign countries, you know, this is a big part of it is that there are people in foreign countries training AI, um, but it's also us in our everyday lives. Like things like CAPTCHA are just forms of kind of free labor that we do, um, you know, without necessarily like conscious consent, but we do um, in, in many ways train AI on a daily basis. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating just to like reiterate the way this H capture works is that it's showing you I think the example it uses on its website is it shows you a bunch of AI generated images of castles and soccer fields. And it's like, pick which one Well, we want you to look, click all the castles, right? Just kind of like a normal captcha. But you're using AI generated images and what you're actually doing is teaching another large language model uh, which things are castles or which things are fields because it turns out that the easiest way to tra- train some of those systems is not to have computers do it, but to have people actually give them the correct answer. Um, and then when things, things get weird though, 
and you end up with strange, like slug like pictures um, in a completely AI dreamed up things. Uh, I did talk to H caption. They said that this was only up for a brief period of time and it was a narrow window and only so many users saw it, but it was pretty striking. A lot of people shared it. Uh, and I went back and kind of looked through social media and Reddit, and it people have been complaining about HCAPTCHA's AI-generated images for a long time. Anyway, um, let's go on to the first story I want to talk about this week, Chloe, with you. Are these AI debt collectors? If we can pull that story up. Uh, now, I know this was not one that you wrote, but this is an area that you are well-versed in. Can you kind of tell me what's mm-hmm. going on? Are are AI debt collectors coming? Are they already here? What's happening? Yeah, so this story is about a specific company um, called Skit AI. And the entire premise of the company is that they want to use generative AI to kind of automate the entire debt collection process. So that means, you know, calling people regularly to remind them to pay their debt, trying to collect debt um, either digitally or on the phone. Um, and it's still not sure how much uh, this service has been used, but a lot of AI ethicists kind of warn against this because, you know, debt is something that a lot of people have been struggling with, especially since the pandemic, and this simply makes the process even less personal and more difficult to kind of, you know, negotiate with someone real or talk about the human reasons why someone might have outstanding debt. Uh, so this is another instance in which people really want to kind of replace human jobs with AI. And it's going to be one of these things where like you get a phone call, you answer it and it is a robot. It's an AI voice talking mm-hmm. to you. That's trying to pressure you into paying this debt for whatever, uh, for, you know, for whatever reason, right? That's and uh, some of, and also some of these systems being run, being run by AI, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's laws against; they're not well enforced. There's laws against auto dialers in spam, and I'm wondering. Uh, this is just me speculating out loud. Uh, this is not really in the story, but I'm wondering, like, if this stuff is going to run afoul of that legislation. Um, the other thing I thought that was really interesting here is that I thought it, when chat GPT started getting big, uh, I thought stuff like this was probably going to end up being the use case, like this spammy, aggressive, gross, uh, you know, text driven garbage that floods into our phones and our lives every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's horrifying to see, uh, that being borne out. So yeah, definitely. All right, and let- I can only imagine uh, how kind of simple or unable to respond to more complex like commands. Because I know people who have tried using different websites, and now a lot of websites they have like chatbots you can talk to, but they never end up actually helping out. And people generally just ask for the human um, customer service person, and so I don't know how this will actually be effective. Yeah, I got locked out of a I got locked out of a bank account a couple months ago. Um, in breaking through the robot system to get to a human, uh, took twenty four hours. 
it was <laughs> it was deeply unpleasant. I had to call several times, uh, and then luckily they had that thing where you like you can wait. They'll call you back once they know that you want to talk to them. But it took a long time. It was very frustrating. And every time you end up, you it, it's so like frustrating to interact with any of these AI driven robots on a phone, especially if it's something about money. Um, so like a, a robot calling you to collect on a debt would just like sends fire up my spine to even think about it. And as you said, like this is going to be a thing where the way America works, um, debt is leveraged against the powerless in our society. Uh, and those mm-hmm. are the people that are going to end up, end up interacting with these systems, right? Yeah. It definitely perpetuates inequality and especially because we don't, we haven't exactly like rooted out the biases that AI has in itself. You know, it's just going to keep persisting that kind of bias. Well, like, like facial recognition systems and like other things that you and I have talked about on the show before, what we're doing with AI in a lot of places is just automating and encoding uh, extant systems and biases uh, mm-hmm. into computers in a way that is going to be, uh, I think devastating for us. Definitely. Uh, speaking of things that are devastating, uh, another story that caught my eye this week that I'm so glad that you covered, um, is the fake photo of the Pentagon being attacked that went pretty viral, pretty fast. Uh, what happened here? There was this AI-generated image, um, as you can see on the screen, um, and I'll describe it for podcast listeners, but basically uh, there's there was this image of the Pentagon and this giant gray-black cloud coming out of the earth um, on the left of the a Pentagon building, and it was spreading across Twitter, um, you know, even across accounts with millions and hundreds of thousands of followers, all uh, whom who are which were like blue check verified, um, which nowadays does not mean they're actually credible or accurate. But each one of these accounts was saying there has been a like breaking news. There has been an explosion next to the Pentagon, uh, but it was the same image over and over again. So I think people quickly realized if there was an actual explosion next to the Pentagon, we would have heard about this from like top news agencies from the government. We would have seen multiple perspectives of it. Uh, and not just the same image over and over. Right. And we, ha- it's, it's funny. If you look at the image itself and I'll put a link to it in the show notes for everybody who's listening to the podcast afterwards. Um, it's pretty crappy. <laughs> There's some telltale <laughs> signs of it being like a bad AI image. When you look at it, um, there's you've got like uh, that kind of gating that's in front of the White House uh, that you see kind of crop up in D.C. all the time. Um, and there are places at the bottom of that gate where you can see that like weird AI shimmer where this is obviously like images that have been kind of slammed together uh, to create. But it did like it, it shocked people for the few hours that it was up. The first time place I saw it. Uh, was one of these accounts that earlier this month uh, was credulously reporting, it's another blue check, uh, credulously reporting that uh, Russia had scrambled jets with nuclear weapons attached to them, uh, possibly for use in in Ukraine. Um, 
And it was interesting because they used, and this is one of the ones you flagged in your reporting here, uh, they used the same language here that they used when they were talking about the Russian jets, uh, which is like, hey, this is just a rumor. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have not verified this, but we're spreading it anyway, just in case it's real. (laughs) Which I think is just like so dangerous and bad uh, in the information space that we live in. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, a lot of these accounts were crediting Twitter sources as where they found this image. So nothing really concrete. And no one was really able to get to the bottom of who exactly created this image. But it was rumored or reported, it seemed like the first person to have tweeted and used this image was the uh, Russian Times or RT.com, uh, which is a Russian state news agency, but they quickly deleted the image and the tweet uh, when people started kind of pushing back against it and saying this is definitely AI generated. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that it's one of those things that if we chased it down, it's probably on a Telegram channel or on 4chan somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone saw it and, and brought it out. And here we are. Um you know, maybe not even shared in the spirit of look what's happening. Maybe just look what I can do with AI generated images. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we just have, feel, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I definitely feel like a lot of people are kind of riding that wave of like, let's see how viral I can get with an AI generated image. I mean, there is that image of the Pope wearing like a big necklace and a big like fur coat. Uh, there was the images of Trump getting arrested that were also AI generated, but also very viral it definitely seems like people it, – it might be like a form of entertainment for them to kind of see how far these images can go. Yeah, the the Pope one I thought was really uh, really interesting because it was the first one that at first blush I saw and was like, oh, wow, the Pope looks really great in this jacket. Uh, it, totally, it totally got me. It totally got me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it has really made me think since then that like I – like especially if I see it on social media – um, I have to stop and pause for a second and just make sure that if I see something that I think is really cool or really shocking, I got to take a minute and make sure that it's real. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel like also the one, the images of people or things that are more innocuous, like not, you know, the Pentagon has an explosion, something like silly, like the Pope wearing a fur coat. Those are the ones that are easily like that. We easily fall for just because they are definitely seem realistic and just a little bit absurd, but not completely. So, I mean, I understand why everyone fell for that. I think we all wish, you know, he was actually wearing that outfit. And the stakes are low on the Pope one, right? Like you said, I think that's a really good point when it's something like when it's something that it doesn't really matter if he's wearing that jacket or not. It's just cool. If he is, that's the one where you're more likely to not dig into it, to not think about it too hard, to just kind of accept what you see. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are talking about all things AI. Um, all right, let's dive into the next bit. Uh, I kind of I, I wanted to ask you about this. I've been trying to play around with chat. I, I got I paid for Chat GPT. Um, I've nice. been using it this month, messing around with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you I, you report on this stuff like so much more than I do? Uh, what do you use it for outside of your reporting, mm-hmm. or do you? Yeah, I would say because I use it so much for reporting, like I, I mostly use it for work. Um, but also I've been, you know, playing around with it with my friends and things like that. I think it's always interesting if we ever have a query to ask both Google and ChatGPT. It's kind of like something we've uh, added into our toolbox of search engines. So we're like, oh, like, I wonder what Chad GPT would say about this, like this question I have about the world. Um, so that's been interesting. And it's also been interesting to see like what it would say to a person, for example, like, let's say I want to respond to this email or this text, what would Chad GPT respond? Um, and I would say it's usually more funny to look at and see rather than something I actually use or, you know, need, but, uh, it's been also we use it for me and my friends use it for like more kind of humorous purposes like oh can you write a song about the situation we're in i think that kind of stuff is really fun to play around with i found uh what do you think about bard versus chat gpt yeah i would say gpt is definitely stronger uh just because it is has been a lot around for the longest like that is what Microsoft uses uh, for Bing. Um, Bard is definitely still, you know, in its more beginning stages. So it's not something that I use a lot. Um, I've been using Bard a little bit more for something really silly uh, that I found that it's mm-hmm. very useful for. Um, and I'm going to segue into private GPT, but watch how I do it. Um, so I Bard is hooked up directly to the internet. Uh, it's yeah. scanning things in real time. So I've been asking it questions about video games I'm playing. Oh, nice. And it's pretty, it's been pretty good. Like I, I I'm, mm-hmm. I'm old enough now that sometimes I just want to know the answer to a problem. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to futz with it. Um, so I will ask Bard and it usually is correct. The, but it worries me because I know the way that it's getting that information is that it's scanning the websites of uh, video game sites that have already reported out this information and have it. But Bard, but with me interacting with Bard means I'm not interacting with their website means that I imagine that they're missing out on some of the ad revenue, which, which for guys and stuff really drives. Um, mm-hmm these video game websites and I'm, and I'm wondering if we're underselling what this stuff is going to do to, uh, to websites, to news, not because of AI written coverage necessarily, but because mm-hmm. of the ad model that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And this brings me to private GPT, which is this new service uh, that is launching that promises to promises like chat GPT, but without having to put in your input in your company's information, 
or have it go back to a centralized server? What is going on here exactly? Yeah, um, I'm just going to quickly answer the first part of what you're saying. Uh, You definitely bring up a really valid concern of like what this means, because, you know, even with Google and and a lot of the search engines, uh, they already have like an ad kind of model. So like the search engine results that show up at the top, um, people can promote their, their websites on Google, like Google ads. So I wonder how it will work with AI, you know, like will people be buying placements in Bard and Bing to put their links there when they search up, you know, what's the best vacuum. Um, and then the, the thing about affecting creators, I think that's a big point. Um, you know, like Google and Microsoft are kind of benefiting off of other people's content um, drawing it out and making it concise. Is there going to be kind of a paid system where if Google or Microsoft accesses these websites, like, will they have to pay for the information? Um, so these are, yeah, these are all very interesting questions. And again, also kind of linked to the artists and the writers whose content um, shows up in, in like generative text and image. Um, so there's a lot to figure out about how we can, kind of decentralize the power that's already existing within these big tech companies and all the, all the people, all the free labor that's kind of gone into it, uh, into these systems. So yeah, there's a lot to figure out there, but with private GBT, um, this developer basically created this source code that you can download onto your computer and then run uh, GPT on your personal documents without having to use Wi-Fi or be connected to a larger like corporation like OpenAI. Um, so how it works is once you download the code, you basically train the the model on all of your documents uh, rather than like the internet's content, for example. So it becomes really familiar with a number of of whatever information you feed it, and then from there you can just ask it questions like. Uh, pertaining to those documents. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting because it kind of dovetailed with, um, there's a YouTuber I watch that I think is pretty smart who just put out a video about AI. Uh, and he said that he thinks the future, the way we should think about this is that you'll soon be able to search a lengthy document by asking the document and having a conversation with the document itself. I thought that was a pretty good way to put it. Um, yeah. and so I th- like private GPT is a, is an interesting solution to the problem of you want to be able to talk to the document, but not have that document hooked up to the wider internet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that there's, will there be a way kind of pivoting back to this conversation about like how an ad model is going to work? If, if the internet is going to turn into this place where we're all talking to chatbots to scrape data mm-hmm. off of other people's websites. Um, I'm wondering if it would be possible to add some sort of code to a website that excludes getting scraped by one of these large language models. I'm just thinking out loud. Um, so it just occurred to me as we were having the conversation. Uh, yeah, that's definitely, uh, something to consider. And also, I think what a lot of these companies are realizing, like competing companies, is that they need to develop their own models, for example. So like one of the companies I bring up in this article is Samsung. And there's this big incident earlier this year where uh, three workers um, in Korea basically used ChatGPT uh, to ask questions about code that 
they were working on for Samsung as well as like a meeting they had with Samsung to kind of summarize the meeting notes. So um, Samsung found, found this out and basically banned chat GPT from any employees uh, from all employees using it. And then they also uh, said that they were developing their own version of it so that this leakage doesn't happen again. It's not just Samsung, it's JP Morgan, Apple, Amazon, they've all banned people from using ChatGPT, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, eventually all these companies are going to have to develop their own versions of these systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see the, did you see Microsoft complaining recently about um, how much it's costing them to do this? No, I didn't see that. They were, uh, it's something to the effect of, uh, like, you know, we've, we've had, you know, we've spent millions and millions of dollars in Sam Altman, uh, with a couple hundred, like with a hundred people figured this out way faster than we did. What are we even doing? Um, just kind of the yeah. story of Microsoft in a lot of ways is they made a really great OS once and have kind of been on the back foot since then. Um, but that's a whole separate conversation, but it does bring us to Sam Altman, um, who I want to talk about. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, AI brain scanning. But so Sam Altman testified before Congress recently. Uh, I didn't watch it because I'm I watched all of the TikTok hearing and I'm exhausted by uh, tech CEOs t- testifying before Congress. You heroically did. Uh, what was it like? Yeah. Um, well, first I would say it was definitely. Uh, I would say easier to watch than the TikTok hearing. That one was very intense. You know, there were a lot of, I I think that in the TikTok one, a lot of the opinions and thoughts that the the, uh, government officials had were very much less formulated. Uh, This one was much more mild of a hearing, but basically uh, they were just talking about how AI needs to be more regulated and about how, uh, we need to watch out for everything from bias to, you know, um, kind of like all the ethical concerns and the development and who gets to be included, et cetera. Um, but something that really stood out in this hearing that a lot of people picked up on, um, because this doesn't happen a lot, was basically that the OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman, was very kind of interested in working with the government. He said, you know, I'd definitely be open to having a government uh, oversight. Um, In fact, like he even said he wanted AI licenses. So getting a license from the government in order to develop new AI systems. And this was kind of controversial because a lot of people were saying this was like an anti-competitive move. Like not a lot of people um, or especially like smaller companies and open source developers can afford the resources and all these things to get these licenses and work with the government on this scale. So I think by him volunteering to work with the government and get these licenses, he's really pushing his company first being like, you know, we're cooperating, we're going to be in good favor with the government. Yeah. It, 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 it sounds like someone trying to trip everyone else after they've already won. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, this is not the only time we've seen something like this from people working in the AI sphere. Uh, famously, Elon Musk and others put out that letter where they're like, we have to have a, what was it, a six-month-a-year moratorium on all AI development until we figure out what's going on. You know, this was a couple months ago. 
Um, obviously, probably no traction on that. Um, did they talk about how exactly like this licensing system would work? I think Lindsey Graham said that you would you'd basically like establish a new institution that would give out these licenses to companies that wanted to to do this AI stuff, right? Yeah, so it would be like a separate kind of board. Um, so not necessarily people, um, you know, like not necessarily senators themselves, but a separate board that would create these uh, kind of like a, an agency that would create these licenses. Um, so previously, OpenAI had already kind of talked about uh, being in support of this. So in April, they proposed uh, this agency called the Office for AI Safety and Infrastructure Security, um, which doesn't exist currently, but you know they they have been kind of vocal in helping establish this governmental agency. Yeah, uh, Lindsey Graham quote: "Do you agree the simplest way and most effective way is to have an agency which is more nimble and smarter than Congress overlooking what you do?" Yes, we'd be enthusiastic. Altman said, Altman replied. Um, again, it's just funny to see, especially it's Altman is interesting to me uh, because it's like he's learning. It is if he's internalized the lessons of watching all of the other tech CEOs go up before Congress um, and knows that there's kind of this anti-big tech mood in the air, I think, on both sides of the political spectrum, and that he's got to play nice with everybody, and mm-hmm. that he's got – he has something that's making him a lot of money uh, and is poised to revolutionize uh, a lot of what everyone does, um, and that he's got to play this real careful, or else he's got to, he might get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, what is a both a fun and frightening story. Um, they've they've got AI that can scan my brain and and, and recreate high quality video. What what what? So these researchers um, took this uh, publicly available data set of fMRI brain readings and created this uh, AI model um, by connecting it to. Uh, something that encoded the fMRI brain scans um, and connected that to stable diffusion, which is a image generation AI model. And they were basically able to, um, so the fMRI data was basically scans of people who are watching these videos. So they were able to ask stable diffusion to recreate those videos based on those brain scans. Um, So as you see in, in that image above, uh, the original video was of a cat and the reconstructed video was of a cat again, but a little bit different. So that's kind of how all of the before and afters look. So uh, in another example, there was a field with horses on it and then the reconstructed video was basically another field, but with like brighter horses, a little bit more orangey color. Um, so it's very interesting how kind of close these uh, brain scan AI generations are yeah it's it's they knew they knew what the original pick like i don't know it just all feels feels very spooky to me and i know that we have these systems where like uh i've written about this where um people have begun to use uh these simple sensors that you can put on your on your head that will read some various things that your brain is putting out and using them to control video games like elden ring um I don't know. This I don't know why this frightened me so, but it does a little bit. 
this is pretty, but this is pretty intensive. Like getting into an MRI machine to capture uh, the stuff that's coming off of your brain is pretty intense, right? So, mm-hmm. all right. What what what's next? What's going to happen next with AI? What what frightening thing are you going to report about next week, Chloe? Yeah. Um, so actually, something interesting that I reported on that came out yesterday that has kind of been blowing up on the internet is basically this eating disorder helpline under the National Eating Disorder Association um, decided to fire all of its um, helpline staff, so the people who answer calls that come in through this helpline and kind of end the entire phone uh, helpline program and instead just keep this chatbot support system. So this chatbot is named Tessa. It's considered like a wellness chatbot and basically helps Uh, people with eating disorders like that's all it is programmed to do um so you know a lot of people are really upset about this because they just they made this decision four days after the helpline workers unionized um and also the chatbot doesn't seem like a fair replacement for human workers who have their own experiences they can share with people in who are struggling you know they can have especially with people in crisis i think you know, giving them a chatbot isn't an unmoderated, especially chatbot is not safe at all. No, I mean, we've seen this. I mean, this is kind of the story of chatbots from the beginning, right? Is uh, yeah. you talk about this in your story, Eliza, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also got the story that we reported out a few months ago, I mean, maybe even sooner than that, where the Belgian man committed suicide after interacting with a therapy chatbot. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is pretty dangerous and fucked up i think right mm-hmm. uh where else do you see ai going in the next few months chloe yeah so another thing that i'm working on uh and a piece is coming out on tuesday is ai girlfriends so earlier this month i reported on an ai girlfriend subscription program so this influencer decided to take her her voice and her kind of personality and create this AI girlfriend chatbot that you can pay uh, to to chat with. And um, so that's like kind of the subscription side. But now people are, in fact, making their own AI girlfriends. So on Tuesday, my piece interviewing a man who made his own uh, AI girlfriend is going to come out. And it's really interesting because, you know, he got his girlfriend's permission. She recorded her voice like he described her personality to the program. And then now you can just chat with her on telegram. Um, and this has kind of been part of an ongoing pattern. So like I mentioned the subscription service, but even before that, um, another piece that came out that another writer at motherboard covered was basically like, uh, somebody, a developer coder basically created an AI wife. So just, uh, Basically, they created an AI wife based on an anime character. So they're able to talk to it, look at it, you know, interact with it, and they flirt with each other. Did he seem happy, the man you talked to? Uh, Yeah, the man I talked to seemed pretty happy. He he was saying, you know, the next step is AI boyfriend. Everyone deserves an AI companion. He seems to be super into the AI companion thing. I think that has also been a big topic of debate because people on the side of creating these things think, you know, like the other creator I talked to, the one who turned herself into an AI girlfriend, she said, 
I just want to help people cure their loneliness. Like I can't possibly talk to everyone like this will help them. Um, but there's also the idea that we've, you know, talked about over and over, like what happens if you fall in love with a chatbot and it's, it can't meet you. It's not real. It doesn't actually support you. So there there's a lot of risk. There are hard limitations here, right? Yeah, um, definitely. And people are going to get, hurt emotionally, if not physically, maybe physically. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the man in Belgium. Uh, he, he was also, uh, kind of engaging in this deep relationship with the chatbot. Uh, so when the chatbot encouraged him to like end his own life, he decided to listen because he trusted, uh, the chatbot. Well, Chloe, when, uh, I'm sure you're going to be back on to talk about the horrors of AI, the horrors and the promise and the beauty and the terror of artificial intelligence. Uh, I think it's going to continue to be a big story that dominates the tech space for at least the next year, if not the rest of our lives. Thank you so much for coming on to to Cyber and walking us through this. Thank you so much for having me. If you are listening at home to the podcast afterward, guess what? We recorded this live and you can watch us walk through the articles, figure out the tech stuff and talk a little bit more. Uh, we're running for about two-ish hours every Friday at 11 a.m. over at twitch.tv forward slash vice, where you can watch us record this live and kind of break down the other tech stories. Uh, I'm going to jump off now, and I'm going to go talk to Emily Lipstein about some more wild tech stuff. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Bye.